Welcome to On Belonging, an audio series to connect us. On Belonging explores why so many of us are feeling called to find a deeper sense of belonging, whether with our ancestors or to the land where we live and beyond. These powerful stories and conversations are an invitation into the lives and landscapes of the guests' worlds, offering pathways towards remembering and finding more belonging. Hello, everyone. So this episode is actually us, Carla and Jamie Lee. And we decided early on in this process that it was important for us to create a story and through a conversation between the two of us, because not only did we put a lot of thinking and love and care into this project and the topics around it, but we also have had so many conversations and learned so much during the process of the last few years, because this is just one, this, this series is just a small iteration of the whole project. And so we just wanted to, we're not going to reflect on the episode, the stories that came before, because that doesn't seem right. And we're also artists too, and we're also storytellers. So we're going to take up a little space, put ourselves in the kind of hot seat and ask each other some of the questions we asked our other um, uh, guests to explore. I think that's, that's kind of the aim. Yeah. <laughs> and welcome everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome. And I think too, it's like, yeah, the stories that we heard throughout the series, yes, they are the stories of the storytellers. Um, but I think it's important to get to know us a little bit as the people curating it too, right? It, I think it can help all of us feel that that connection that we're all looking for. So so here's us. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Or as, as Liam used to say, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like we are doing this project through... Uh, Joyful Threads Productions and Ground of Futures, which is like collective, collaborative spaces where we work with lots of different artists. But this project is very specifically like the core of it is uh, me, Jamie Lee, and Carla here. So, Carla, why don't you introduce yourself as as an artist? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, I'm Carla Joy Bergman, and I've been creating art with community, in community, across generations, across landscapes for over 20 years. I wear I wear very, very different hats and do different things. And uh, I've started using the term transdisciplinary because I think it speaks more to what I do. Like I work with different mediums in different forms and I kind of curate them in different ways, including with people mostly, <laughs> but also with nature. I am calling in from the, the land of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salatooth peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I am a um, settler from British, Irish, and Welsh ancestry, and I am a mom, <laughs> which is really important for me to say because there's a good chance I'll talk about that in this episode <laughs> and talk <laughs> about my kids often because it's very connected to belonging. And I, I do this uh, making kin thing in a, in a home place with a partner for the last 32 years. And I am a friend. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an, a radical. I like to um, stir shit 
and cause trouble mm-hmm. for pe- for people in power. And I'm I dabble in poetry a little bit. And I think mostly I spend a lot of time with nature, with the crows, with the birds, with the flowers, with the trees. That's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how about really you? Really good you. <laughs> well, here me are. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say that like I struggle with these types of of like introductions to myself. And um, I think many of us do. So uh, bear with me. (laughs) Yeah, my name is Jamie Lee. I am currently sitting on the territories of the Wasanich peoples, uh, which also is like Northern Victoria, also aka Saanich. I don't don't really understand the like district lines here. I am mixed uh, ancestry. I I am a Portuguese, uh, Squamish. I don't know. There's some there's some unknowns. Question marks. Question marks. Um, also uh, for me, but but the the two that I most deeply connect with, probably like which will come up through this conversation a little bit, because of place uh, is like physical place is Portuguese and and Squamish. Those are the the two that really resonate uh, deeply in my life for many reasons, which I'm sure will come up throughout this conversation. And I also am a mother, which is like really at the forefront of uh, a lot of my conversations, a lot of my ways of being, a lot of my art making. Now I'm like, I'm going to still say a newer mom because my kid is four currently and being a mom and being in relationship to my kid has completely reshaped who I am as an artist. So I think it's important to start there that like I'm a mother who makes art, not an artist who mothers. <laughs> and I would also say that I don't really like I didn't really identify much as an artist for a long time um, until relatively recently even though I was like a photographer and a filmmaker and whatever, all of these things. And I think partly through this project too, and through not just, um, not just this like on belonging project, but like through Grounded Futures, I've really stepped into calling myself an artist, calling myself a storyteller. I think that's good enough. I think that's who I am roughly, like in a nutshell, what you need to know about me, maybe. You'll find out so much more I as mean, I keep talking. <laughs> it's so context-based, right? Like it depends mm-hmm. on the how I'm feeling that day, the context yeah. of which I'm being asked. Very. We're multi-layered, right? Like uh, we're, we're just multi. Know, we're just layered. <laughs> it's just yeah. layered, you know? And so it all, it depends. But that was yeah. beautiful. Thank you for just being here. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have a few questions that we kind of, you know, some of the people, everyone kind of got similar questions, and then some people chose to write a narrative from that. So we were going to ask each of us some of those, because this, this was based on, you know, many years of thinking about what it means to find belonging, whether it's through ancestry, you know, as a settler leaving here and going, for me personally, going to Ireland or Wales or Britain, or does it mean, you know, rooting into where you live now and um and and everything else that that involves so and we realized that the topic was so enormous that it, we just needed to be open about what it was about mm-hmm. so with that I, I kind of want to hear from you Jamie Lee why why do you do this kind of work like what what brings you here yeah it's a really good question because I think there's layers of it like 
why do I do this kind of work in like where technology meets storytelling is because of like just sheer interest in the technology. I love technology. I love like learning stuff. I'm not like so uber about it that I, you know, want to know all the latest like camera models and blah, 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 like once upon a time, maybe, but not really anymore. I'm like, cool. If it does the the tool, if the tool does the thing, that's, I want to learn how to use it that's in front of me because I think, I mean, in the very like real sense of the word, a tool, like it's a tool to help us tell stories, to help us reach each other and help us connect. And it's a tool that at least like for me kind of growing up as like, you know, right in the kind of, I don't even know if I was, I feel like I'm like the core of millennials, but I don't actually know what the age gap is. Like, I feel like it was sort of a breaking open as I was coming into like figuring out, and I didn't have this language at the time, but like, like what storytelling could mean to me and could mean to connect to other people. And so all of a sudden when I was like a teenager was when like everybody was getting a little point and shoot digital camera and like stuff like that, right? Where we were all of a sudden like massively able to document our stories. And maybe it was like, you know, 300 selfies that we took, um, but <laughs> it counts. Anyway, so it felt like really timely the tools to to learn about and you know partly that led me to going to film school and working as a film technician and working and getting interested in documentary film and led me to to realize that like through the technology there's so many ways to tell stories and then the the main thing that really I would say like shifted at one point throughout my I don't I hesitate to say the word career but whatever career was that I realized that like so many people had stories, but they didn't have access to tools to tell their stories or get their stories amplified or get them reached and stuff. And so I think like that's really at the core of a lot of what we do together as collaborators, you and me specifically, but like at the core of like how my praxis of work in every project that I do in every workplace that I go into. So it's like funny, this in general for you and me, we're not typically the people in front of the spaces, hearing our voices, because we both really root ourselves in that, I think. And there's this other piece that brings me to like, why do we do this kind of work uh, that I just remembered really recently, and I had really forgotten about it. When I was like a teenager, and in general, like, you know, I kind of grew up in like a little bit more of a I just felt like not a lot of sense of belonging in the place where I grew up. Like I felt like I couldn't express the ideas in my head in a way that people understood. It's like pretty conservative where I grew up, but like a little bit like, you know, like country redneck vibes. And like there's pieces of that life that like I actually really love and like really connect to a lot of things. But like the core ideas and like foundations of who I am, I struggled to find connection where I was in place. And so stories, reading, and movies, for me, ended up becoming safe harbors. I read like, I used to read like 40 books a summer. I'd be like, get on summer vacation, and I'd read like 40 novels as a teenager. And I'd try to like outbeat my own record from the year before. I'm like, how many books can I read this year? And then like movies, I forgot that I did this. I just remembered this recently. But I used to have like lined paper, like just like regular ruled paper, where I'd write names of movies of that I wanted to watch. And then I'd like 
have like little codes of like like what I felt about them kind of as I watched them. And I used to have like front and back, like probably five pages, like hundreds of movies written down by hand that I was like, I'm going to track stories that I feel something about and whatever. And so when I, you know, finished high school and I was like, oh, I'm going to make movies because like movies were such a thing. And I, or I wanted to be a writer for a while because stories, right? And, and books and whatever. So I'm just like really trying to root back and connect to that idea that I had when I was like 18 or 19. And I was like, wasn't even in film school yet. I was like doing some traveling and doing some other school randomly here and there. And I was like, I just want to tell stories that reach people. I remember like at 19, maybe like 20-ish, I was like, maybe I'll do like a video podcast. Like that could be cool. <laughs> so funny that I ended up here in some very roundabout way playing with audio again. But yeah, I just had that idea that like, I was so rooted in this at the time too. I was like, if I make a piece of art or a story that goes out and like literally one person who's maybe already in my orbit or not, sees it, reads it, hears it, and is like, feels more connected in the place that they're at, like across time, cross distance, whatever, like then, then that matters. And so why do I do the work? Why do I do this kind of work? It's for connection. It's for us to break down like that isolation that empire kind of imparts on us or place-based disassociation with like the people around you can can be really um intense and so like hearing a story seeing a story reading a story can give you a lifeline in a lot of ways so it's not that my stories will do that necessarily which like of course they will we all affect each other all the time but it's so that other people also feel emboldened to tell their stories I think that's all the pieces I could come to say why I do this work and also like specifically why I do this work I feel so like like the world just was this beautiful synchronicity uh and I met you Carla who like actually really you know lives lives a lot of these practices that I like didn't know how to embody yet and was like maybe on like the cusp of but like I felt really empowered by meeting you and by becoming a collaborator and becoming a friend and like seeing how you walk in this world and so I want to hear from you and, and and why does you do this kind of work? Well, first of all, thank you so much for um, weaving together such a beautiful story. It all just resonates and makes sense knowing you and and seeing, you know, and reading and experiencing all the different types of storytelling you do, whether it's visual or a fiction or creative nonfiction um, or audio work or video. And um, it's all there and it definitely reaches and connects. So thank you for being you. <laughs> and yeah, it was very synchronicity that we met. And, um, you know, I have a I have a long history of wanting to do things that I don't have the skills to do. <laughs> and so luckily, I love to collaborate. <laughs> and so, you know, I had this big film idea and was really missing a big element on how to do this film. And along came your, your wonderful storytelling, technical ability, prowess, rooted in story human who wanted to collaborate with me on my film and which led to this series so I reflect that back at you shine back at you too the way you walk and move and yeah I always I always think back to you know I without taking up too much space but I you know I have kind of a language processing disability and I always say my brain is like brambles and so it's not always easy for me to communicate or talk about 
my ideas and my thinking and my weird, strange knowings. And so I, it was important that I wrote or created with others to create the thing that I was feeling and thinking. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a feeler first and the thinker second. And that's the other reason is I can't always put words to what I'm feeling. And so when I collaborate or I bring, create a space for other people to share the thing I'm feeling, it's just a, like, I like to think of it like I'm a conductor. And I have this passion of this thing, but I can't play the violin. I can't play the cello. I can't play, I can't do any of it. So I, so that's part of what goes on for me, but it's also um, political uh, in the sense of uh, amplifying and transmitting voices and the unheard and the, the on purpose marginalized. And it, you know, it started with the youth very, very much um, early on in my work and including my own voice and then moved to, um, I was very feminist for a while and just anybody who feels like a misfit on the margins of doesn't feel like they belong in the in the narrative that's being forced to everywhere, the stories that are being told everywhere. I wanted to create spaces for folks to be heard, to share, to commune together. And yeah, very much similar to you. Like I, I'm looking for connection. Not not necessarily for myself, because I'm actually quite hermit-like. <laughs> but I, I I want people to feel more connected to where they are to themselves to um to ideas to maybe you know maybe it's the first time they ever heard of Ursula K Le Guin through my whatever like I just want to make webs of connections and or help spin those with other people and you have to be in relationship with other people for that to happen and then I think also as I've aged I've really realized that we're drawn to do work where we need support. Like where we need to heal, where we need to learn. So I'm, you know, it's, I wrote a whole book with my beloved friend, Nick, about joy, because I actually couldn't access joy that often. So a lot of people don't know that about me, but that, you know, now I can say that because I didn't know that at the time, I think compared to a lot of radicals I was organizing with, I probably seem like the most joyful in some cases, but I like literally, you know, despair is probably louder for me and it and it connects to this conversation because I am literally cut off from my blood relatives except for my descendants like my children so I'm like I don't have any living close relatives that are like of my blood of my ancestry and and I haven't for years and so you know, so it's always been about like I've had to cultivate it. I've had to um so much of my belonging has been about moving away from things where I didn't I couldn't be myself. So it's not surprising that this is a place of like deep healing that is necessary for me to thrive and to flourish and to be the person I want to be in this world. So of course I'm digging into a topic where I'm struggling. <laughs> so yeah, I just I think we could I think it will just flow as we keep talking, but yeah. Yeah, that's so real, uh, especially like over the last, well, I would say like, I don't know, maybe just like <laughs> pull back the veil for a second, but like I would say we are recording this after having recorded everybody else's stories, right? Um, 
And so throughout this project, uh, I've been thinking, and like, especially in the last little while, while we've been like editing and like, you know, talking deeply with each other about everybody's pieces, I've been struggling so hard with this idea that like, I had to understand what belonging was, and like being a curator on the side of it or whatever. And it was like, oh, I don't even know what you say. Like, it was like, it was really tough to realize that I'm probably like at the place of feeling the least belonging in my life that I felt in my adult life. Right. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you saying and just like putting it out there that like oftentimes we, we create this, the the things that we need. It's been such good medicine, like hearing these stories and working with these stories and working with these storytellers, like for so many reasons, but yeah, also because I need it. You need it. We need it. Yeah, thank you. I am so sorry you're feeling the least sense of belonging at this time in your life. And yeah, I I invite you to say more if you want to, but we can also pivot to a more a, yeah. a, a more optimistic question if you want. No, I mean, I think I can say I I want to talk about it because actually like I would say I've had a bit of a breakthrough and it's it's related to some of the ideas that we wanted to talk about anyways, which is like How do we root our belonging physically where we are? So for context, I, yeah, I grew up and spent most of my life on um, like the mainland, which is, uh, you know, in like my adult life uh, in, in Vancouver. So a lot of things there that are like home to me in a lot of ways, sense of belonging really deeply really deeply um, for multiple reasons. Like one is I was kind of saying at the opening of this is like, I grew up really connected to my Portuguese family. I would say that like my my Vovalina, she was like a, another parent to me. And like, honestly, like more than another parent, like both my parents worked a lot and, you know, had like different houses and stuff. And I'd say like that my Vovalina was like my really safe space, I guess. Like that was for me. Um, And so I grew up really close and connected to the Portuguese culture that she lived and embodied. And I grew up really surrounded, I would say, by that. Um, Because also like my family, my Portuguese family in in Vancouver and in in the surrounding areas is pretty big. Like I know all my cousins and I, I grew up really close with all of them, right? I like it's steeper than that. I know my mom's cousins, like it's so big. And then, yeah, like having sort of like the, my, my adult life shifting out of that and starting to tell or like explore the, the, the stories of my ancestors on my dad's side, who I was really quite disconnected from. Um, and in particular, because of place, like seeking out the Squamish story, understanding and like very cool like so liberating to to transmute that like ancestral inherited shame I would say around like indigenous identity that like my my dad carried and his dad carried and turn it back into joy and turn it back into thriving and you know like I don't get to heal that for my dad and I don't get to heal that for my grandfather who I didn't really like he died when I was very young but I get to heal that for me and in a way have seen some of the healing come for my dad too, which is like a whole other story and so beautiful and cool. But anyways, so then I spent, yeah, most of my like adult life in Vancouver kind of like reconnecting, learning where our family came from and learning that like, you know, 
like some of the stories and stuff. And it was, I feel like I was just kind of really breaking, like, you know, like nine, almost 10 years into the reconnecting was just starting to be like, oh, I'm starting to like know people and maybe make connections to like who my family could be and whatever. Um, And then I moved and it was really, I didn't expect it. Like it was really slow, actually. I was like so excited to move. Vancouver was becoming really difficult. My baby was like young. We'd had like a break-in in our house and like all this stuff where I was just like, oh, everything about it is telling me to move. Even though I had such a beautiful network of people and friends, like in so many areas of my life, but I was feeling the push to move for a lot of other reasons. And so when I first moved here to Victoria, it, it was quite shiny and nice, I guess. And I moved like, you know, my my oldest brother like followed pretty soon after uh, uh, I did. We moved like with my co-parent. He lives like down the street. So we were able to like co-parent, like one of my best friends moved at the same time. So there was sort of like, oh, pieces of my world came with me. And I would say I was like almost two years, we're coming right up to two years since I moved now. It wasn't until like probably, you know, six or seven months ago that I started to realize uh, that my sense of belonging had kind of been like torn away at that time, but I, but I hadn't noticed it. And so it, through this project, I've recognized that like, feels like it's been a long time since I've been like seen (laughs) in a, in a, in a, how would I say it? In a like ongoing way or something, you know? Yeah. So like there's that plus like fucking parenting is hard when you're not surrounded by community. So, and like single parenting. So like that added to it. And there's like all these conversations that I want to have with my kid about like the ways that we like, and I, I mean, we pretty specifically like me and you, Carla, like live in the world, like how we engage in like the actual like politics of uh, our, our lives in a way we, you know, my kid is four. So it's like, how do I start these conversations in a generative, soft, whatever way? How do you, yeah, like not embody adult supremacy in parenting? And yeah, like, so I guess really realizing that all of my immediate accesses to those types of like reflective conversations weren't immediate anymore. And so the last six or seven months, I've just been like trying to, in a way, and this project has actually really helped because physically I've had to go and be with you and work with you. And it brings me back to Vancouver, but I'm trying to keep the line between like who I was and my belonging. I felt in Vancouver to, I'm trying to bring it, thread it, weave it, braid it to where I am now too in this place, because I've chosen to live here and I do love it. And like, I do think it's the right choice for us, but I have to participate in my own belonging, I guess. I don't even know if I answered any. I don't even know if there was a question. <laughs> no, I asked you to share why you feel less. Yeah. And that was a beautiful, I mean, I just really heard that there's some grief around, like mm-hmm. you were literally living on your ancestral land mm-hmm. and then you, and making those connections. I would say you are healing your dad and your and your ancestors mm-hmm. and and your future descendants, including your your baby, mm-hmm. um, with this work. And I know how challenging that work is, but I witnessed you in some of it. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, it's you know capitalism and it's it's ongoing occupation of this land and colonialism, mm-hmm. and um, it's all of that. 
And you are such a cultivator of community and friendship. And you have so many people here that miss you, including us. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you feel that as well. Um, yeah. And as someone who grew up in Victoria and that surrounding area and, and has a drive to be there again, like I I, I get it. Um, Vancouver is a as an urban capitalist, hyper-capitalist city is no longer feeling good to so many of us. And Mm -hmm. I spent years cultivating and being part of a large community that I watched slowly shrink as people had to leave uh, because they couldn't afford to live here. They couldn't Mm -hmm. live even slightly their politics or their radical ways of being. And, 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 And what I mean by that is like truly engaging in mutuality with each other because they were fried they were exhausted they didn't have any disposable income anymore because I had to work three jobs to pay the rent and it just eats away at the the very ethos that that bound our communities together I mean and I I think people listening from all over the world and living in urban places are probably going yes this is happening here too yeah Uh, Vancouver's not special and Victoria is also overpriced and ridiculous, but there's also, it's, there's just, it's just smaller. So there's a potential for doing things a bit differently. Yeah. And so that was my response to that. Yeah, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I'm curious to to shift and talk about like your sense of belonging and, and your relationship to belonging in, in place right now and how that's feeling for you. Yeah, I mean, it's been so, I always think of that Tracy Chapman song, uh, Fast Car, where like I can't actually listen to the to it without crying because it literally is my life and meeting my partner Chris like I literally you know like got in his car and drove fast away so I finally felt a sense of belonging I could for the first time in my life was with him and so I mean how I'm so you know grateful every day for that that core sense that's just with me And <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there as a somebody who's really pays attention to time, all time, cross time, like a you know a nerd about history, a nerd about futurism, nerd about all of the things. I don't ever feel like I belong, and really outside of time. So I also have that running always, where I I never feel like I belong in this society, this place, this right now, right here, right now. And so I think that's just like an important context to put into this. But the moon is, it seems so like cliche, but the moon is so important to me. And it's so funny because, you know, we don't get to see it for a big chunk of of, of a month because it's it's in dark mode and and we also live in a rainy city. But the minute that sliver comes out, I act like a kid on Christmas. Like you can, like, I'm like, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> Luckily, I live with a crew of people who are all there with me going, oh my God. And I think, you know, I I found my sense of belonging often from looking up. So I, I'm obsessed with clouds. I'm obsessed with the stars. I'm obsessed with the Big Dipper. I'm, a, you know, just always looking up. And for two solid years, every time I went out for a walk, I would see at least three crow feathers. 
And I was wondering what the message was. And I've had different people tell me that, oh, it's, you know, it's like a quill. The crows are telling you to write, write that book that you've been meaning to write or whatever, or be more like a crow because crows are radical. And then it hit me. It hit me. I was like, oh, stop looking up. Be here now. Move beyond your rigidity around politics. Move past this harshness that you bar that you give yourself of like as a white settler that you're not allowed to belong here. Root back into creating webs of mutuality and and relationships where we undo colonialism together and fierce anti-colonial approach to your work but and mutual aid and all that stuff. But like you belong. You belong to this tree. You belong to this grass. You belong. You're here. You're here. So, you know, show up. And that's uh, what I decided that those, like literally, I'm not exaggerating when I say in two years, I probably saw 5,000 crow feathers. That's my message is to actually alongside and within all the nuance of being a white settler on an on, on occupied stolen land, I belong here in a core way, like in a way that allows me to show up and hear and listen to my Indigenous friends. And and like, I'm not abandoning, I'm not becoming a liberal and being like, oh, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out that, you know, that piece. And, you know, we're nature. And I know that that's really common right now, but you have to realize that it wasn't for a long time. And like, because capitalism and colonialism empire does not want that connection. It's really important that we don't have that connection and that it gets weeded out of us. Humans are nature. We belong in nature. I think like to kind of wrap this this question up, I think what I've come to understand through this work with you, through our conversations, through the storytellers, is I have a lot of grief and despair around belonging. I working on the Working on these stories made me feel less belonging to, brought up a lot of ways, it, it, it shone light on all the ways I don't feel belonging. And it also made me really realize that belonging, the whole idea around it, isn't permanent. It's an impermanent state. It's always in flux. It's changing. It ebbs and flows. Some. It's like everything. It's just, you know... It's Taoist. It's like it just flows. It comes, it goes. Some days it doesn't, it's, I can't access it. Other days I'm in, embodied in it. And really what it comes down to is when I feel the most alive, the most alive, like whatever I'm doing, this conversation, I feel like I belong. Like, uh, you know, at a, at a Palestine rally, I feel like I belong. Cooking food for people, I feel like I belong. Like sharing a story with my kid, like all those little ways, they just it it it's like blooms and then they it ebbs and flows. And so I'm trying to realize that it, of course, is like everything else. It, it's constantly changing, and so to be not to get too caught up in the feelings that come with that and just let it flow. so good and it's no it's like why I think you and I can collaborate so well is sort of 
like our brains work similarly and also wildly differently, you know, like, so like we can understand each other on this like deeper level. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that piece that you felt over here, I'm going to take that and like really feel it in my body and it's going to come out something else. And then because of how open you and I are, are with each other and entrusting each other, I just feel like, yeah, like everything you said is in a way like a mirroring of like my story and everybody's stories that we listen to. So I just love the way that you brought that brought that forwards and, and the openness you brought with it. And I think, yeah, I think we all really feel that in a lot of ways. Um, it's really true that that sense of ebbing and flowing and also like it can feel more dire than that, right? When we're in the, in the, disconnection it feels or like the sense of not belonging or whatever it's it's so heavy it's so intense and so like I love also this metaphor of like yeah the looking up and and then remembering to to ground where you are too because it's so complicated (laughs) right place based stuff and people politicizing our identities on behalf of us before we even understand who we are (laughs) like all of these things really add up especially when you're like I want to yeah like be, be a radical or whatever like I want to um change the way that we relate to each other not change but like deep in the way that we connect to each other and stuff like that right and all of that other that rigidity and noise I would call it almost <laughs> uh really interrupts us and it's like amongst some of the people who we sometimes can feel so connected to and whatever too so I I I like this idea that it doesn't have to be static (laughs) and that we're allowed to reach out for connection in different places at different times and with different people at different times beautiful yeah I mean and it's gonna always you know it's context-based right like if I had this conversation like a month ago would be very different or in a month from now or a year from now. And just being open, just embodying that idea of impermanence of like, all we have is change is, as so many amazing writers have been trying to get that message across to us. You know, I think like belonging and feeling connected is what we're really, I think also talking about is loneliness. And it's not even a something just us on the margins are thinking about like it's mainstream uh it's a mainstream idea felt lived like it's an it's an epidemic and it seems to be partly to do with the pandemic but um i think the part the pandemic just pulled back the sheen and all the veils and it was already it was already in play and i think sometimes like feeling bored even is code for i'm actually lonely and and I think I like to pull apart this idea of loneliness or feeling alone. And it it really comes back to not being seen, like that longing to be seen. And this, and you know, I'm someone who pays attention to and since I was a kid in how children are treated and watching my myself and then other kids and then kids in my life as I grew, and then my own kids and then my friends' kids and watching the stuff gets seeded. These, like, this idea of you don't belong. Be actually, those seeds watered because they've dealt with so much uh, adult supremacy that and all that stuff. If you're, like, constantly longing to be seen, be heard, be yourself, be loved. I mean, that's really what we're, right? Like, we want to love and be loved. Um, And that gets chipped away at in the subtlest ways. Like, 
you know, and it, it is because of all these imposed um, systems of poverty, of racism, of white supremacy, of ableism, age, like all of it. It's all part of it. Trans, anti-trans stuff, like it's it's all at play. I'm not saying the adults live a blissful life and they're just being shitty. Like obviously, it's all it's an ecology. But I guess it's all to say that it doesn't just happen by accident. Like we don't all all of a sudden just be like, oh, I have a terrible job because, and that's why I don't feel like I belong. Like it's been a, there's been a history of hurts and a stripping away of that sense of really feeling like you're connected to whoever. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have to place us in the time and space that we're at right now a little bit because it's really hard to have these conversations without doing so. But like some of my biggest struggles in parenting right now is um, understanding how to talk about um, what's happening in Palestine currently with a four-year-old who, how do you explain, Rook? <laughs> really like inquisitive. Also like really um, like verbally... Uh, cognitively, like beyond what I was prepared for is maybe like the best way to put it. So like he really reads everything like around him, you know, like uh, not literally reading, but like he really reads my emotional state. He absorbs it. And like, like so many kids obviously do. Um, But then he has like the cognitive ability already to flip it, ask me questions and like, you know, dive a little deeper like he's yeah he's just been like that right like his verbal skills came before like a lot of of other kids his age and stuff like that so to say all this I'm like you know here parenting and asking these questions and like he or sorry he's asking me these questions about Palestine and like what he's feeling he's feeling uh confused and he's already starting to feel fear right and so like because also it affects me he sees me when I'm impacted by videos and images and whatever that I see online and obviously I'm not showing that to him but it impacts me um and he feels it so I started to feel really isolated in that not knowing how to talk to my own kid or like and just doing my best and listening and whatever and so we started going to some events um that were like organizing with families so what I wanted to come back to here is like where we can when we feel the most disconnection, isolation, loneliness, especially based on like, yeah, like post-pandemic world, you know, honestly, like struggles and addictions to like social media, like in response to like a capitalist world that like makes us (laughs) desire escapism in a whole new way, all this other stuff. I feel like I'm losing the thread here, but like the connection that I had to go and seek out was other parents um, who were potentially struggling with the same questions. I didn't need to find people who had the answers. I needed to find people who were also struggling with my struggle, right? Or like whatever, right? Like I, I needed to feel seen, which is what you were saying. So like, and to talk about also bring back to like what you were saying before too, it's like always going to look and feel different. <clears throat> the people that I might need to seek out 
when Brooke is a teenager are going to be totally different, right? Like all of these things. Um, but like recently and with struggling with my own like sense of like what, how do we organize? How do we influence um, how do we participate in a future that we want to see while also trying to like safely have that conversation for a four-year-old without making him feel like, oh, I have to take on the burdens of the world because he's four. And, you know, other the thing that I found the most helpful was going to spaces where other kids were. And so there was like some like undertones of joy throughout. And I think a lot of our organizing this is a judgment, but uh, a lot of our organizing excludes kids, right? It excludes families. Um, uh, and like, I'm just stating that it's a judgment because it is one. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, like I haven't actually really felt um, able to organize since I had a kid in a lot of ways. Because like one, one, I have to show up with my kid. Two, like I'm also a single parent. So like I have to like cook all the meals and like do the things and I work full time and blah, 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 like whatever. Like I I need support if I'm going to show up. And so like through some of these and like obviously I'm not the only one feeling this and experiencing this because now I see here as soon as I like got to a few connections, there's all of these beautiful like family organized events um, and with that being the central focus. So I lost my thread, but <laughs> we have to see each other in our struggles too. And like, it's actually like really validating to be around other people who also don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was exactly it. Like it's about, it, it actually gets back to that being in motion thing because, and I love that it wasn't looking for answers because I mean, if you meet a parent who has all the answers on how you should run the other way because they're not listening to their kids or maybe they're reflecting on their relationship with their kid and now they're thinking that can apply to every other kid. That is, you know, I mean, you can't. Like there's no recipe for social relationships. There's just inspiration. There's questions. There's more questions. But you, yeah, like, I mean, it's getting to that thing about aloneness, about loneliness or about being feeling alone in the struggle of like, how do I have this conversation about a genocide with my four-year-old? Oh, look, there's all these other families who are also thinking about this and coming together. And that's beautiful. Like that's a beautiful message to get out there. There's always, if you're, if you're having a thought about a way that you're feeling disconnected, there's a really good chance there's a whole pile of other people having a similar feeling and a, a similar experience. And so, yeah, I think it's it's really valid to remind ourselves, and I need to hear it too, like that you, yeah, it's back to that idea of cultivating. You know, I deeply had to cultivate and make kin because I didn't have, you know, grandparents and, you know, I, we do have on one side of the family, um, that, but not, not, re not on the other so much. And so, you know, beyond the blood, like was exactly what we did <laughs> as a family, right. As a kin, and, you know, creating, especially I had, there were so many allo parents for Liam, especially because I was so embedded in community with Zach and we did so many things together and he was 10 years older. And, but like, I had to actively do that. And, and I learned, you know, so many of the pillars were the parents who were raising kids 10, 20 years older than my kids. But what I appreciated, and it was just probably who I oriented towards, is 
like almost all of them weren't the type to give advice. They were stuck in the middle of it too with me. They were stuck in the middle of the process with me. I learned more from their kids, actually. Their kids would reflect more to me on what what steps to take, like the 17-year-old or the 18-year-old who was raised in a similar kind of family ethos dynamic or a community way that my kids were. So, yeah, I think I've been thinking a lot about, and the stories really, some of them really highlight this, but this idea of manufacturing belonging, you know, we have to, for for good and for bad, like, or for good and for hard, or for wrong and for whatever, like, whether it's ideologically coming together, which can feel a little bit icky. But sometimes, you know, empire wants us to, wants to silo us into our individual homes, into our nuclear families, into individualism and really to undo that, you have to cultivate belonging. You really do. And so it's not it's not really about an artificial sense, but it really is about cultivating. You know, people used to call it building community, but Liam always likes to remind me that empire builds. We, we you know, we we cultivate, we plant seeds, we we um, nurture, we we use hospitality, um, we show up. Like there's just so many other better metaphors than building, <laughs> you know, and because part of that work is about unmaking too, because you can't just, because we're going to show up in hierarchical ways and, and shitty ways if we don't actually work to undo stuff too. Belonging is so, it's so active, right? Like it's so, um, or like finding connection requires a a form of breaking out of what we're told, which is individualism is like where you begin. And I don't even yeah. know. I don't yeah. even know because I don't subscribe to that. So I'm just like, I don't even know what the rhetoric is because I've well, pushed yeah. it away for so long. But yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is that like um, within that like individualism and whatever, those of us who are maybe, I would say, well, we take on personal responsibility when things go wrong in the world. And that is also where we get caught and stuck. That is where we fall into despair. That is where we like, yes, like be accountable for your actions and yes, like hold grief, but also like you don't have to hold grief alone. Grief can be collective. You don't have to hold accountability alone. Like accountability can be collective. And then like within that, like you also get to celebrate together when there is joy. I had a conversation the other last week, like we had, you and I had had a tea and then I went and had a walk with another friend. So it was like right on the kind of tail ends of us talking about this project and and stuff. And so, you know, she was struggling with that feeling of like worthiness, I would say, in, in, in a sense. And because, yeah, like post-pandemic world, she was definitely feeling really isolated. And so many things she was saying, I was like, that's what I'm feeling. And I was like, holy shit like one of my best friends. And I was like, we have not even talked about this yet because we're so coded to internalize those feelings as well of like, you know, and a lot of it's like wrapped up in our like imposter syndrome. So we don't want to talk about it. And like, um, oh, what can I as this individual do? But like, we have to, yeah, like you say, like fully just reject that thing. Like I only am within like the collective, you know, like I am only going to make that impact if I am making these connections and making and like caring and living with mutual aid and mutuality and whatever. Like, I know that's not like the best way to phrase all of that. And like people could pull apart what I just said and that's fine. You can do that. Um, (laughs) But 
because like collective accountability, right? Like help me learn or whatever. Like uh, it's, it's, I walked away feeling so much lighter from that conversation than I had in months because I was able to say to her, like, you know, you might not be able to change the course of like the whole world and like your one decision to like, you know, go to this place or buy this thing or whatever. Like, yeah, it's not gonna, you know, like talking more directly about like, oh yeah, like you boycotting this or you whatever, whatever, right? Like how we choose to live our lives. Like you can't be alone in that. Like the power within those actions actually comes when we're together, right? Um, what you, if you want to go to this, like, we're going to live in these, like, there's smaller worlds within our world, right? Like, in my world, that person, that friend has had incredible impact. I was like, you have changed my life in so many ways by, like, having conversations with me, um, you know, for, like, a bit of context. She was one of my roommates at the time when I got pregnant and it was um, not planned and it was like really jarring and kind of scary to to ha- have that. And I just had two people in my life who I lived with who were like, whatever comes next, you're welcome here. And we will like, I felt so loved. It changed um, my, it changed my fear about pregnancy into like, what's possible, right? And like, what an incredible impact to have on not just like my life, but on Rook's life to change that whole way of feeling because I had support. So I was able to tell her that and say that. And I was like, look, these small little moments, like they, they matter too. And like within the bigger context of everything in the world, we need to root into those smaller moments of connection so that we can have like more organizing power or whatever. Thank you for sharing that beautiful, Mm -hmm. like, personal story with, you know, yeah, just showing that, showing exactly what we're talking about here (laughs) through your lived experience, which I think is really powerful. And and also, feelings have become so on the hot topic right now, right? Like, people either are policing everybody for which kind of feelings are, like, allowed or not allowed, or, like, the other side, the other end of it, like, you know, only feelings matter, you know, or feelings happen, but they're not facts. Like they're just all over the place. But one thing I I I, I have to say that feelings tell a story, and they they aren't just an opinion. They're they're beyond an opinion. And um, you know, I can never remember the name because it's a Spanish name. But like, there's literally a Spanish word that says feeling thinking. Like you can't think without feeling like they don't separate it. Another thing that the Western world and Western European Western thought did was separate thought from feeling. And it used to be like just the same thing. And I think like you're not helping the people in Palestine by just being in despair or just feeling like stuck and like you, you you're allowed to live your personal life in the context where you live, which means having some joy time, dancing time with Rook or cooking for each other or going for a walk. The Zapatistas really have, you know, it's their 30 year anniversary of them coming out full, just, just is coming up 
and even longer as a as you know they started with six people only i love telling that story only six people started the zapatistas back in the 80s but they you know they came out in the world in 1994 i was i remember because zach was born in 1994 i always say that two things happened in 1994 that like that planted watered all the seeds for my radicalism it was the zapatistas and my kid zach being born and so and, you know, and that, that's their lesson is that there's joy, there's always joy within coming together. And it like we actually do more when we allow for those moments of joy. I want, you know, fuck it, colonization and settler occupation and genocide. Like it's got to end, like, you know, and I'm out there, I'm fighting for it. And like, that's who we are, too. We are all of that. We are all of that all the time, and we have we have more capacity, more power together when we are allowing the full ecology of our emotions express themselves. Or I like to call it full spectrum emotions, right? Like let them let them out, you know. And so, and like including despair, like despair is actually a powerful emotion. It's actually powerful. It has embers burning. Depression is not. Empire likes to keep us depressed. And I think people have misunderstood what despair is. Despair is actually quite powerful. It's like, you know, like, if, I don't know how you could be part of this world and not have feelings of despair. Like, no matter what kind of wealth you have or what kind of, like, orbit you're in, like, you, you know, climate's real. The climate chaos, climate stuff is real. And that if that's not sparking some despair in you, I don't know what you're doing. No judgment, whatever. You, Your feelings are your feelings, but... I actually came across a word. It's called solastalgia, solastalgia, which is means um, it describes a form of emotional or existential distress caused by environmental change, and it's really about being in your home and looking out at the world. And no matter what's happening in your home, like this is, it's happening. There's an existential distress that's happening. That it's something we're all sharing right now. Some of us have paid attention longer to it, um, so it's not just brand new. But um, all of this to say that belonging, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of feeling connected, a part of something is part of this conversation. A part of that too, of showing up and and caring for each other is like small acts of taking your friend, you know, going on that walk and hearing and and reflecting back to them what they how they've impacted your life. It's all, all of it is watering the seeds for us to, to be stronger, more to flourish, to thrive, to be able to undo the fuckery that's fascism and white supremacy and empire and all the Mm -hmm. isms that destroy and want to undo our lives. And that, you know, there's always cracks. There's always beauty. There's always joy. There's always light coming through. And who better than a four-year-old? to <laughs> lead the way for, for showing real. us where the light is, you know? I love that so much. And I think it kind of like really brings us back to at the very core of this project. Why are we doing this now? Um, <laughs> and I mean, I feel like you kind of just said it, right? Yeah. Cause we, you know, earth isn't dying as such, right? Like We might not be able to live here, humans, if we don't do something about it. But mycelium, mycelium's got it. It's all good. They'll they'll figure it out. And um, those beings and and all its its collaborators. um, So we can decide if 
how we can really, really cultivate and work on our connection to our our radcesters, which is, of course, mycelium and all the rest, um, the trees and the um, pollinators. And that's probably our, our best mode. And moss. I was going to say moss. <laughs> I love moss. Let's be more like moss and brambles oh. and lichen where we can just, you know, decompose empire. one thing small or large that helps you cultivate belonging you know it's hard for me to do one thing because I have chronic illness so I can sometimes be stuck in bed forever because like right away I was like oh going for walks um connecting with sounds and scents like I'm very sensitive to scents and you know so like roses smelling roses smelling the cedar smelling the moss but I can always I can always access. That's why clouds are really important because I can see the clouds from my bed, and that's where that started uh, when I was really ill for really long time periods of time. So yeah, I, I I would say all of that, and then you know, of course, relationship like the we weren't the first to write about it. Many people before us, but freedom comes from a word that means dear beloved, and so. You know, freedom is not individualism, bootstrappy, um, you know, I can do whatever I want. It's literally about another. It's about a connection with another person. So, you know, we framed that in joyful Melancy as friendship is a, is a root of freedom. And so I, it is about friendship. It is about having these these connections that you and I have or that I have with my kids and with Chris and other folks um, across distances too. Like it doesn't always have to be in person. Another thing that chronic illness can help, you know, crypt time is called, right? Like you you just connect where you can in different realms and portals, digital or otherwise. Um, I think those are probably really important, but on a real core, core level. And because I do think at the, I do agree with Rilke that belonging begins with yourself. You you have to belong. You have to feel a sense of belonging to self for it to radiate outwards. It's dancing. And even if it's just moving my shoulders, but it's through dance where I can really come back to that core sense of Carla. And I have my, I, it can be to any music, people's, my kids' music, Chris playing the guitar, but Burial, the uh, uh, artist, is really the person who will really, I can never not dance to Burial. So that's why I like to give him a shout out. Thanks, Burial. That's my long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Yeah, it's funny thinking of this question too, of like what what helps you feel belonging after basically saying that we're like struggling with <laughs> belonging for the last hour. Um, I'd say like there's like multifaceted here, but like within my parenting, there are these times where like you know my energy has completely um, depleted. And I notice that's like when I'm most irritable <laughs> uh, and I have my most like, no, I don't want to have a Pokemon battle, um, you know, like my, my like, yeah, whatever it might be. And it's not usually about like being actually tired, although also like sleep is hard and whatever. Um, typically it's about like, my brain has been like overstimulated all fucking day. Um, and like, I need a bit of quiet or something like that. Uh, and I don't need it to be like quiet, quiet. Um, and I've noticed, yeah, like s- 
Similarly, music is really helpful to shift um, what's happening between me and Rook and bring me back into that sense of like, okay, I, I can be present, I can engage, I can, um, yeah, be here, whatever, and like, you know, connect. And then like Rook is, it's so funny because Rook really kind of like resists a little bit when I want to like sing and play music and whatever. He's like, ugh, whatever, mom, already. But it, since my brother has moved in and become roommates with us and my brother like jams and like, because he has a bit more freedom within it, like he, I have to like look at music and read the music and whatever. I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to do a little ditty and kind of mop with stuff off the top of my head. Um, but my brother does that. So he like can engage with Rook in a new way about it. And it's made me realize that, yeah, like those kind of like jams as a family are one of the places that I feel such a deep sense of belonging. Like, oh my God, yes, my relationships with my family is like complicated. And if we're all hanging out, it can be way too much sometimes. Um, and it can, you know, be like all, all of your like teenage triggers come back and you become like, um, you know, like all of a sudden any any work I've done to host, to cultivate like productive conversations like goes out the window. But the second and that we all like sing and play music together, like it all goes away and we're just there and we are loud and we are like um, quite goofy and it just feels like real so much love and joy and like endorphins, whatever the words are that like is like, you know, scientifically firing in my brain to bring that sense of like belonging. So I'm really, really like, yeah, again, like twofold here where it's like these things that actually like make me feel good when I do it on my own, Rook like hates it. Right. Which is like, oh, I got to like figure that out. Like I love singing. I love yelling, singing and playing music, but Rook doesn't like it when I do that. But that fact that my brother was able to like start to bring it back in and engage Rook in a new way has like made it easier for us to do that more. They got spots on them. They got some really big necks. What do you think they do when they try to tie a tie? They tie them with their necks. They tie them with their necks. Yes, they do. What do they eat? Leaves. <laughs> Leaves. What do you think? And you know, when my dad visits, we do it, or when we go over there. And to my dad's house and my other brother's around and we play the piano and the guitars and the drum like there's like little drums around and where we sit around the fire in the backyard like it's such a healing thing and by having my oldest brother come and be my roommate it's come back into my life which I didn't know I needed so yeah also long-winded way uh and there's of course a million little things and a million big things that also helped me feel belonging. But that one was a cool one that I didn't know had like, also because it made me a little bit sad that Rook didn't want, didn't want me to, right? <laughs> um, so it's nice that it's coming back and is um, accessible again to me without pissing off my kid. <laughs> I love that. I can really relate. It's probably because you were distracted with learning. You know? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's going to resonate for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. And the ducks. I spend a lot of time uh, walking over to see these ducks that live at a pond near me and um, Rook and I often feed them and I often bring friends and uh, guests to see them because it's a really fun 
Um, it's just quite an experience to to feed these ducks, and they're just like they have the you know their little duck cackling laughs that you can hear from a distance, and they just like kind of I think maybe know us, or maybe maybe they just know our dog, um, <laughs> but they they come over as soon as we're walking up, and it's um, pretty pretty sweet to feel uh, known by the ducks. <laughs> Well, I, I kind of want to close off by, you know, first of all, thanking, you know, just sincerely thanking you, Jamie Lee, for um, showing up in my life um, pre-pandemic and walking walking through these different changes of this project with me. Just being open when I would intuitively be like, nope, we're not doing the movie anymore or whatever. Like, <laughs> and just being so stoked and and reflecting back to me that it was trust, but also you had the same intuition. So I, I just feel really grateful that we did this work together. And, and you, you know, the curation too, I think that very, very much together. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. it was just very, it's been so collaborative and so beautiful. And, and I'm so grateful for everyone who did do a story or a conversation with us. So thank you, every single one of you, for this project. Yeah, also, really yeah. want to thank the whole Grounded Futures crew, from and um, in particular Melissa, uh, for being our, our part of our trifecta of dream team, mm -hmm. um, who helped us along the way as well. And really, you know, behind the scenes ways. And we see you and we love you and we appreciate you. Mm. Um, and Uli and just everybody. And, uh, and of course, Zach and uh, Awareness Chavo for the music that supported mm -hmm. each episode. And then of course, our tech wizard, Chris, who worked with each one, you know, to make it accessible and sound sound mm -hmm. good. <laughs> and, yeah. and finally, everyone who's listening, like, we just really appreciate you because thank you all out there for being here with us through this fractured, fractured time. Yeah. I also think like just in a, it like within that, like we, we kind of want to hear what you think. Like if this, if this made you feel something, um, we'd love to know what that is. <laughs> or, yeah. We, we did talk about like, maybe, you know, maybe there's space for feedback or like not feedback in the, you know, to each one, but like, if you if it sparks you to write a poem or song or story or share your ideas, like you know, um, tag us. Um, we'll amplify it. We'll you know, yeah. we want to hear. We I think we it's, wanna, yeah, we want to hear. This project is bigger than us, so let it be yours too. Uh, well, thank you, Carla. Too. This is like I don't want to I don't want to drag it on because that was such a good one. But I do <laughs> think it's really worth saying. Like you know this. Like yes, we're collaborators. But like, yeah, I just trust you so much. And this was such a such a great experience um, for me. And I think for everybody that we worked with, I would take that leap and put those words in their mouths by just thank you for the the care that you hold in curation because it's really special and, and I've learned a lot through it. So Thank you. Thanks, mm -hmm. everybody. May Thanks, you find everyone. an abundance of connection and belonging everywhere all the time. All the time. Thanks for listening to On Belonging. This episode featured a conversation between Carla Joy and Jamie Lee with music by Awareness. 
On Belonging is curated by Carla Joy Bergman and Jamie Lee Gonzalez, with tech support by Chris Bergman. The show's awesome theme music is by Awareness. On Belonging is a joyful threads and grounded futures creation. Please visit groundedfutures.com for show notes, transcripts, and to read more about On Belonging. Till next time, keep walking, keep listening.